Welcome to West Laurel Hill Cemetery. I am Joe Lex. I'm a volunteer tour guide and the producer and host for the cemetery podcasts, All Bones Considered, Laurel Hill Stories, and Biographical Bites from Bala, West Laurel Hill Stories. In a few minutes, I'm going to accompany you as you walk or ride through a very small part of the cemetery from the Barmouth Station entrance off the Kinwood Trail to the Pencoid entrance at Writer's Ferry Road. For now, just sit at the picnic bench or stand by the gate while I give you a little bit of history. I'll explain some of the things you'll be looking at, both animate and inanimate. We're going to stick with some sites on the right side of the road for this tour. You can hear about the other side of the road in another audio that will take you from Pencoid back to Barmouth although that probably will not be available until sometime in 2023. So before you start, let me tell you about this amazing place. West Laurel Hill Cemetery was founded in 1869 by John J. Smith, one of the same men who had initiated Laurel Hill Cemetery in Philadelphia in 1836. What started as 88 acres has become nearly 190 acres on this plateau that overlooks the Schuylkill River. There are nearly 100,000 people buried here. You'll find more than 270 private family mausoleums in styles ranging from Egyptian revival to Art Deco. West Laurel Hill Cemetery is on the National Register of Historic Places. It is also a certified arboretum with a full-time arborist. And I will point out some of the trees and shrubbery we pass along the way. There are more than 4,000 plantings here. There is so much history. There's a former United States Supreme Court Associate Justice who ruled against plaintiff Dred Scott. You'll find Dave Garraway, the original host of the Today Show. Anna Jarvis, the mother of Mother's Day. Soul singers Teddy Pendergrass and Billy Paul. You will find the founders of Comcast, Dietz & Watson, Sun Oil, and McNeil Pharmaceuticals. We have Bassett of ice cream fame and Fleer of bubblegum fame. We have both Strawbridge and Clothier. There are two members of the International Tennis Hall of Fame and six people who survived the sinking of the RMS Titanic. There's Cyrus Curtis of Curtis Publishing Company and the father and son sculptors Alexander Milne Calder, who did all the statues on City Hall, including Billy Panway up on top, and Alexander Sterling Calder, who did the Swan Fountain on Logan Square. There's the hatter, John B. Stetson, the father of baseball, Harry Wright, and brewers, lots and lots of brewers, for both Laurel Hill Cemetery and West Laurel Hill Cemetery. Now, to get your bearings, that big white building on the other side of the parking lot, that's the funeral home. The route we're going takes you up the right side of Barmouth Avenue. It's next to Cameo Gardens, which is in the center strip. Look for the occasional markers on the road. They are painted PB and the white marble monoliths alongside the road to keep you on the correct path. Okay, let's start walking. Head toward that smooth, white, three-foot-tall tombstone about a hundred steps from the entrance. The section on your right is called Hanover. It is more contemporary than much of the cemetery and still has active burials. 
If you are passing through at a time when there appears to be a funeral service, please steer clear if possible and show respect. You are now in a ginkgo alley. In other words, ginkgo trees on both sides of the road. Ginkgo biloba, or the maidenhair tree, is a specimen native to China. It's been on the planet for about 170 million years. You will not see any traditional flowers on them. Ginkgos produce seeds instead. When crushed, the seeds give off a pungent odor, which has been compared to rancid butter or vomit. Ginkgos can grow to 100 feet high and 8 feet in diameter. If you're here in the fall, you will notice how they all turn yellow at about the same time. Okay, first stop is the white polished marker of eccentric semicircles for Susan Ellen Krupnik. There are probably a lot of painted rocks at its base, left by her friends, her children, and her grandchildren. Susan was a flower child. She was at Woodstock. She protested the Vietnam War. She met her husband at a park bench while they were at American University, and they stayed together for 49 years. She started her career as a nursery school teacher, but in 1984 became an entrepreneur of children's clothing with her South Street shop called Kamikaze Kids. It was the go-to place for punk children everywhere. She died of breast cancer at age 68. Practically next door is the black granite stone with ceramic photos of two couples. On the left is Dr. Lewis Manley and his wife Wilhelmina, a registered nurse. They died in the 1980s. Their son Donaldson was an ophthalmologist who did his training at Will's Eye Hospital in the 1960s and then remained there for his 50 plus year career. Donaldson's wife, Celeste, was one of the chairs for the hospital's annual fundraiser. Naturally, it's called the Eyeball. She was also a docent at the Philadelphia Museum of Art and president of the annual craft show. When Celeste died in 2018, Donaldson followed the next year, family saved from a broken heart. He went to his office until the day that he died. There's a large horse chestnut tree on the corner to your left. Its scientific name is Aesculus hippocastinum. If you are visiting in the spring, you can admire its beautiful flowers. This tree can grow to a height of 120 feet or more. Now go to the right around the corner, just a few feet. You're going to be coming back to the road that you're on now. I want you to look at the stone there for the Leochorus family. To the right of it, there's a small bench with Peter Leochorus, 1931-2016. The long-tenured president of Temple University from 1981 to 2000 is buried at the Oddfellow Cemetery in Gladwin, but his family has placed this bench as a cenotaph, literally empty tomb in Greek. Okay, go back to the road you left. Walk toward what looks like a large black granite table with the name Spain on top. It's on the corner. It has some steps in front of it, a stone stairway that's surrounded by many ferns and other plants. Everyone smiles at the inscription at the bottom, cocktails at six. This is the tomb of businessman Bernard Spain, who died in January 2021 at age 86. 
Bernard and his brother Murray were sons of Russian immigrants who started Spain Card and Gift in 1960 and eventually expanded to 30 locations. In 1971, they copyrighted the smiley face combined with the slogan, Have a Nice Day. It is estimated to have been used 50 million times. They started the Dollar Express chain in 1990, which grew to more than 100 stores nationwide. And if you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan, Bernard had season tickets for 45 years. Oh, the inscription at the bottom. Bernard made it a habit to always have a glass of aged scotch whiskey at 6 p.m. A walk a few more feet on the main road, you will see a brown granite family marker headstone and two footstones. The one on the left belongs to Willabel Clayton, a mother whose husband deserted her, leaving her to raise their daughter on her own. She introduced her daughter Constance to art at an early age. Willabel studied voice at Settlement Music House and became one of the better-known mezzo-sopranos in the city. She worked for the Navy during World War II and was a longtime choir master at St. Paul's Baptist Church at 10th and Wallace. The mother-daughter team spent more than 50 years enjoying and collecting art together, accumulating works by William Henry Johnson, Beaufort Delaney, Augustus Savage, and many other African-American artists. For Willabelle's 83rd birthday present, Constance bought her an antique and used clothing store in Chestnut Hill called Portobello. The daughter, Dr. Constance Clayton, is alive as I record this in early 2022. She served as superintendent of the school district of Philadelphia from 1982 to 1993. The Constance E. Clayton Professorship at the University of Pennsylvania Graduate School of Education is the first professorship established in the name of an African-American woman at an Ivy League institution. And in 2019, the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts received more than 70 artworks from the Clayton Collection. The inscription on the stone is worthy of emulation. Note that Spain and Clayton are on a small triangular island. You can see the back of a mausoleum. If you want to walk around and see it from the front, pause the narration until you get there. This mausoleum belongs to Antoinette Paso Westfall, who was a fashion student at Drexel University, captain of both the field hockey and lacrosse teams, member of Sigma 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 Sorority, president of the Panhellenic Council, and gossip columnist for the Triangle newspaper. Her husband, Ray, founded Vertex Incorporated, a highly successful software company in the 1970s, and she was one of its first employees. They raised three children together. In 1988, she opened a day spa and salon in Paoli called Antoinette's. After her death from breast cancer at age 67 in 2004, her husband made a generous donation to Drexel, which renamed its College of Media, Arts and Design, the Antoinette Westfall College. Now, it should take you about 30 seconds or so to walk to your next stop, which is the mausoleum on the corner. You will pass the last resting places of Decker, Varani, Conaderas, and the black marble chest of drawers on your way to the corner. Pause the narration until you get there. 
Okay, you should be standing in front of a mausoleum with three names on it. Slocum, Luden, and Fazek on either side of the door. I especially like the ram's heads on the urns also on either side of the door. This is the final resting place for William Henry Luden and his family. William was born in Reddick in 1859. He launched a candy business in his family's 30-square-foot kitchen when he was 20. He specialized in mashi, a Pennsylvania Dutch candy made with brown sugar and molasses. For Christmas of 1881, he molded many animal-shaped candies, and they failed to sell. They were returned to him. So he remelted the candy, added menthol, and made lozenges, which he sold as cough drops. For many years, Luden's menthol cough drops were available in five-cent packages, which he lined with wax paper to increase their shelf life. And in an early example of guerrilla advertising, he gave the packages to railroad workers passing through Reading, so they were carried across the country. He eventually offered more than 500 varieties of hard and soft candies, chocolates, and marshmallows. He sold the company in 1927 for six and a half million dollars, and he retired. But he shared his wealth with many. He established the first public swimming pools in Reading, and he gave cash bonuses to soldiers who served in the Great War. Luden died in 1949 at the age of 90 in Atlantic City. Stay on the main road. We are crossing an intersection. You can look to the right for a line of dove trees, Davidia involucrata. They are native to China. They get their common name from the huge flowers, which look like doves or pocket handkerchiefs when they bloom in early June. So stay on the main road. We're now in the Belmont section. Go past the Serral Mausoleum. If the light is right, you will see some beautiful stained glass flowers. Just past the Serral Mausoleum is a large horizontal granite vault top for Philippe Sharples Hall, M.D. Pause a few seconds until you can see it. Dr. Hall was born in Narberth to a wealthy coal merchant. He graduated from Swarthmore College in 1888 and Hahnemann Medical School in 1891. After he studied pathology in German for two years, he was made a professor of pathology at both Hahnemann Medical School and the hospital. He had an office on Arch Street and offered his services to community doctors. A complete examination of the urine cost $5, while an autopsy cost a minimum of $10. Now, in front of the hallmarker is another dove tree. It's almost across the street from the statue of the cat and the dog. I will tell you about them on the return trip. Walk just past the Lentz Mausoleum. There are two Japanese maples, Acer palmatum, in concrete planters. They can grow to more than 30 feet and have spectacular red foliage in the autumn. Bonsai enthusiasts have developed dozens of cultivars with leaves ranging from pinkish brown to deep purple. Take a few seconds to walk to the Atkins Monument. You can pause the narration until you get there. Stop at the Atkins Monument. You see a false cypress, or chemisiparis. It's native to Eastern Asia and the east and west coasts of the United States. In Japan, 
this tree is associated with Shinto shrines, some of which are actually made from their wood because of a pleasant odor. Go a little further down the road past the Bauer family to a mausoleum with the name Nathaniel K. Davidian on the transom over the door. Stop the tape and resume it when you're standing in front of the Davidian mausoleum. Nathaniel was a native of Kayseri, Turkey, although he was of Armenian descent. He came to America as a teenager in 1884 and sold imported goods from his homeland while on holiday breaks from school. Nathaniel traveled through the Midwest selling rugs, including one which his advertisements claimed had belonged to the Shah of Persia and was brought out of his palace by a eunuch who served in the harem. He and his brother Gamaliel, who was buried at Laurel Hill Cemetery, set up oriental rug shops in Kansas City, St. Louis, and Nashville, and they exhibited their wares at the 1893 World's Fair, the year that Nathaniel became a U.S. citizen. Soon he opened the Oriental Rug Weaving Company at 1514 Chestnut Street in Center City. He married at least twice. His last wife, Grace Lillian Winnegar, a Virginia native, is also interred here. He built her a mansion in Moorestown, New Jersey, that was designed by one of Pennsylvania's first female architects, Emily Elizabeth Holman, who's interred at Laurel Hill Cemetery. Holman practiced under the name E.E. E. Holmes to obscure the fact that she was a woman. When Nathaniel died in 1962 at age 96, he had operated his Philadelphia Oriental Rug Store for nearly 60 years. Now take about 30 seconds to walk past the Patterson, Miles, and McMullen mausoleums and bear to the right at the corner. Resume the narration when you see the name Supley on the steps of a tasteful monument on your right. Stop the narration now. William Coase Supley, 1867-1916, was in the dairy business with his brother C. Henderson Supley, whose family plot is a few dozen feet behind this mausoleum. William had married well, wedding Josephine Fanning, whose father, David H. Fanning, was the corset king and made a fortune in women's underclothing. At the peak of the Supley Dairy, it provided 200,000 customers on the East Coast with their daily deliveries of milk, cream, butter, and cheese from wagons with a large stylized S on their side. You're looking at a false cypress on either side of the door, and the small shrubs planted along the side are dwarf cryptomeria japonica, literally hidden parts. This is another member of the cypress family, also called Japanese cedar or Japanese redwood. Now, if you're curious, there's a small plaque near the ground on the right outer wall that tells you this simple mausoleum came from the workshop of Lewis Comfort Tiffany and Company. Next door to the Supley Mausoleum is the Peterson Mausoleum. Arthur Davis Peterson, born in 1851, was the son of Henry Peterson, who edited the Saturday Evening Post for 20 years and is buried at Laurel Hill Cemetery. Arthur's uncle, Robert Evans Peterson, was married to author and astronomer Hannah Mary Bouvier and a partner of publisher George W. Childs, the man who co-founded Wayne, Pennsylvania. 
His cousin, Charles Jacob Peterson, was also in the magazine business, eventually being owner of Peterson's Magazine, which existed from 1842 to 1898. Now, all of them are interred at Laurel Hill Cemetery. Arthur was assistant editor at the Post when he was 20 years old. When the magazine exchanged hands, he joined the Navy and spent the next 25 years traveling the world and doing stateside duty. Late in his career, he was on the USS Monocacy with Admiral Dewey at Manila Bay. After his retirement from the Navy, Arthur wrote and published several volumes of poetry, including Sigurd and Anvari's Ring. When he died in 1932, he generously bequeathed $50,000 to the Charlotte Cushman Society and 20000 to the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts. And he left three Packard automobiles to his chauffeur. Now, I know that your eye has been going back over your shoulder, your right shoulder, to that impressive Gothic structure on the island. It belongs to the Hera family. Go ahead and walk over there. Note the numbers 18 and 81 on the door. That is the year that this gem was assembled. Charles Jefferson Hera, 1817-1890, worked as a farmhand before becoming a ship's carpenter's apprentice. In 1843, he went to Brazil for his health and ended up running a shipyard in Rio de Janeiro. He amassed a huge fortune while improving Brazil's infrastructure with railroads and shipping before returning to Philadelphia in 1874. Here, he continued his capitalistic adventures as his wealth grew. His son, Bernardo de Sousa Franco Herra, 1859-1883, went to Penn and excelled in athletics. He finished fourth in pole vaulting in the 1878 National Championships. He eventually became a lawyer, but he died at age 24. The daughter, Georgiana, was married to Arthur Davis Peterson, whose mausoleum we just visited. Now, this impressive Gothic structure may be from a catalog, as there is one just like it in Atlanta, Georgia, and three more in Metri Cemetery, New Orleans. The door is closed, but if you could peek in, you would see a mosaic tile floor, magnificent marble statues of Anna Margaret Real Hera, the family matriarch, and the patriarch Charles Hera, and stained glass. The large trees on either side of the mausoleum are columnar European beeches, Fagus sylvatica, which can grow to 150 feet and lived to be 150 years or more. After visiting the Harrahs, look over your right shoulder and walk to the island where there's a stone for the Holton family. John S.W. Holton was born in the middle of the Civil War. He was a pioneer in organizing the Pennsylvania Commission of Navigation and a militant leader in developing the Port of Philadelphia and largely responsible for the creation of the Department of Wharves, Docks, and Ferries. He served as president of the Philadelphia Maritime Exchange from 1903 to 1934. He was also president of the Sterling Coal Company from 1907 until his death in 1946. In 1991, 
45 years after his death and the death of all relatives named in his will, an estate of $145,000 was divided among 13 very surprised but grateful Philadelphia nonprofit organizations, including the Philadelphia Orchestra and the Fox Chase Cancer Center. Now go down those few steps, finish crossing the road, bear to the right just a bit to the Strohmeyer Mausoleum. We're in the Everglades section now. Julius Strohmeyer made his fortune by selling various syrups and molasses. His grape concentrate used by soda fountains around the country was especially popular. He collapsed and died in the lobby of the Bellevue Stratford Hotel one afternoon in 1920. To his left, next door to Strohmeyer, is the Art Deco mausoleum of Avery Draper Harrington, who was from Delaware. He went to law school at Penn and entered the bar in 1884. He served more than 25 years on the Philadelphia Board of Education, and there's a school name for him at 53rd in Baltimore in West Philadelphia. Stop and take a look at the floral and cross designs on the door and how the door frame is carved to look like classic Greek columns. Look inside, and if the light is right, you can admire the bust of a beautiful young woman. Go ahead and stop the narration here and resume when you're ready to move on. Okay, keep walking to your left and turn the corner and you're staying to the right. You should be back on the main road. Take a quick look at the Daniels Mausoleum with its frosted glass doors and large urns with concrete flames and the Eels Mausoleum with its yucca plants in the urns. Stop when you come to the Hurlbut Mausoleum. Stop the narration until you're there. If you're at the Hurlbut Mausoleum, you can take a break on the seats if you like. This is called an exedra. Clark Stanley Hurlbut was chief clerk for Pennsylvania Railroad President Frank Thompson. He died of consumption, that is tuberculosis, at age 39. Clark Jr. went to Penn Charter and got his BA from Yale before receiving a law degree from Penn, where he was Phi Beta Kappa. He belonged to all the right clubs, Union League, Marion Cricket Club, Clover Club, Orpheus Club, etc. He never married, and he died at the young age of 36. Now, walk past the Brown Mausoleum, and you'll see a large stone for John Nusbickel. Stop when you see it. John Nusbickel was a man who died in France of wounds received while in service to our country during the Great War. Walk slightly downhill for another 20 seconds or so. Look for the name Schilling, stop the narration, and turn it on just before you reach the Schilling Mausoleum. Are you to the right of Schilling? Look back 75 feet or so from the road. There's a black stone with a Star of David and the name Colton. Daniel Sherwin Colton. 1933-2014, was a theoretical nuclear physicist with his A.B. from Harvard and a Ph.D. from Princeton's Institute for Advanced Study in the mid-1950s, just after the days of Albert Einstein. Daniel was part of the Los Alamos Mason Physics Laboratory. He finished his career at the University of Rochester, where flags flew at half-staff in his honor when he died. 
Now, as far as Frank Schilling, check out the classic Greek Revival mausoleum with the Corinthian columns in front. Take note of the lion's head decorations on the doors. Frank was a builder in the northeast section of the city in the 1920s, advertising his row homes with Chestnut Hill Stone for only $6,750. The Depression hit in 1929. His wife Caroline, only 50 years old, died of a stroke in April of 1930. These events apparently hit Frank pretty hard, and he took his own life in March 1931, leaving an estate of more than $300,000. His son, Charles Frank Schilling, took over the building business and became a successful businessman in Ocean City, New Jersey, where he was the owner of Shriver Theater and Shriver Confectionaries, the principal source of saltwater taffy in that summer retreat. Further down the hill, there's a small mausoleum that contains the remains of Colonel Thomas E. Murphy, Stop the narration and resume when you get there. You're standing in front of the mausoleum of Colonel Thomas E. Murphy, whose obituary simply stated his occupation was capitalist. Murphy was the son of famed temperance speaker Francis Murphy. Thomas traveled with his father before attending Penn and then practicing law. He married into money. His wife, Margaret, was the daughter of Captain Benjamin Vandegrift, organizer and vice president of the original Standard Oil Company. Asa Vandegrift, who's buried next to the Murphys, made his money manufacturing cigar boxes. Murphy practiced law, and he served on the staffs of three Pennsylvania governors. He was also partial owner of the Philadelphia Phillies from 1915 to 1930. He wintered in Florida and was an expert yachtsman, serving as Commodore of the Hobe Island Yacht Club for 10 years. When he retired, he was given a silver trophy replica of the nearby Jupiter Lighthouse, which had been designed by Laurel Hill Cemetery's George Gordon Mead. Murphy died in Florida in 1932. You are now at the corner of Bridge and Everglade with an impressive stone that says Montgomery. Stay on the sidewalk behind the stone to see the inscription. Robert James Parker Montgomery was vice president for Reading Coal and Iron, who died in 1936. Take note of the massive ginkgo tree to your right. It's one of the biggest on the property. Now, do an about face, 180 degrees. Look under the bushes for the stone of Howard Fithian Carrer Sr., 1892-1948. He was a pioneer in the advertising business. He served as secretary for the Poor Richard Club, an organization formed in 1906 for the ad industry. They had up to 350 members and conducted an annual banquet where they awarded a gold medal. General Dwight Eisenhower was the winner in 1948, the year that Carer died. Cross Everglade Street and bear a little left to the mausoleum of Eldridge Reeves Johnson. This is our one stop in the Rockland section today. Stop the narration, turn it back on when you're standing in front of Johnson's mausoleum. Take a look at the impressive stand of bald cypress trees, Taxodium disticum. 
behind this mausoleum. If you've driven through the wetter portions of Florida or Louisiana, you've probably seen row upon row of cypresses like this with moss hanging from their branches. When Eldridge Johnson finished high school, one of his teachers said, you are too dumb to go to college, so you had better go learn a trade. He became a machinist and invented a bookbinding device that was very successful. In the 1890s, a customer brought him a hand-cranked gramophone asking for a spring-driven motor. Over the next several years, he did just that. And in 1900, he started the Consolidated Talking Machine Company of Philadelphia. He was prevented from using the name gramophone, so he registered a Victor trademark. And his record-playing device was called a Victrola. He soon became the biggest maker of phonograph records in the world and became a very wealthy man. In 1929, just before the Depression, Johnson sold Victor to the Radio Corporation of America and it became RCA Victor. He had a passion for Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. In 1928, bookseller A.S.W. Rosenbach obtained the original manuscript at auction for $75,000. Johnson immediately purchased it from him and kept this priceless artifact on display in his yacht. After Johnson's death in 1945, Rosenbach bought it back and he gave it to the Library of Congress to present to the British Museum. Johnson also donated his house in Marion Station, and the land was used to build the Marion Tribute House. Cross another street to your left. This time it's Philadelphia Avenue. You should be facing the Sauter Mausoleum. It has two beautiful star magnolias, Magnolia Stellata in front. They tend to flower in early spring. If you miss them, come back in June for the spectacular rhododendrons. William Frederick Sauter, who died in 1934, was in the iron and steel business. We are in the Philadelphia section now. Stop the narration and walk to the mausoleum with the stunning angels and trumpets and the symbol of masons on the transom. You should be standing in front of a couple of Art Nouveau angels playing trumpets. As you might suspect, this is the final resting place of a musician. Eugen Klee, 1869-1929, who was born in Germany and came to the United States in 1893. He was a brilliant choir director who carried on the German tradition of Sangerfests. His choral groups won many competitions during his years as conductor. And even the phrase on the stained glass tells of his love for the human voice. Stop the narration if you want to look inside. The mausoleum next door, with the magic lantern on the transom, holds the remains of Warren Webster Sr., an 1881 graduate of Pierce Business College, who started his career as a $4 per week office boy. In 1884, he opened his own metalworking business and received patents on many devices for steam heaters. Eventually, Warren Webster Heating Equipment had its apparatus in 75,000 buildings in the United States, including the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York City and the Palmer House in Chicago. 
Lieutenant Warren Webster III, a graduate of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, is also interred here. While serving in North Korea, February 21, 1953, he was killed by a sniper. He left behind an eight-month-old son whom he had never seen. He was awarded the Bronze Star, Silver Star, and Purple Heart. Now walk about 40 feet down the road and keep an eye out for two grave sites with American flags on them, indicating more people who served in the military. Resume the narration when you see the name Prediger on a stone. Private Henry G. Prediger, 1896-1918, was a 22-year-old member of the 28th Iron Division when they arrived in Europe in May of 1918. Henry was killed on July 15th of that year during the Battle of Chateau Thierry. He was among 2,165 killed and nearly 12,000 wounded during that battle. His body was buried in France for nearly four years before being repatriated to the United States. A little past that is a stone for Robert Lockwood Misner. 1909-1943. He was a first lieutenant instructor in the Army Air Corps Flying School in Cortland, Alabama during World War II. He was killed when two planes collided on the runway. He left behind a young wife. And not very far from the Misner and Prediger graves is a magnificent sycamore tree that's 121 feet tall. Right behind them almost. Fun fact, another word for the sycamore in the United States is the buttonwood tree. In 1792, under a tree at 68 Wall Street, New York City, the New York Stock Exchange was formed under the terms called the Buttonwood Agreement. Now, head further downhill to the cluster of American flags surrounding a marker. Resume the narration when you get there. This is the final resting places of people displaced from the old First German Reformed Church of Philadelphia and moved here in 1877. There are a few dozen Revolutionary War veterans here. Although we cannot be 100% certain, one of them is probably Archibald Steele, 1740-1832. He served as aide-de-camp to Benedict Arnold, and he lost two fingers at the Battle of Quebec. All told, he served his country for 57 years. Also buried here is John Wesley Gilbert Neveling, 1750-1811, who was born in Westphalia, Germany. He served as a chaplain during the Revolutionary War and was such a valued asset to George Washington that the British offered a large reward for his apprehension. He supported the revolution by lending his fortune of $25,000 to the cause. Following the war, an equestrian accident left him paralyzed and damaged his voice so he could no longer preach. In 1786, he petitioned the Pennsylvania Assembly to return his funds, but he was denied and he lived the rest of his life in poverty. The official tour ends here. If you want to go out the gate, which was the original entrance to West Laurel Hill, you can explore the Pet Cemetery just across Riders Ferry Road. Or you can follow the road down and take a left 
and followed that down to the former Pencoid Ironworks. There's a restaurant there. You can grab a sandwich and a drink. If you like, you can head across the pedestrian bridge into Philadelphia, and there you can connect with the bike path or grab a bus from the Wissahickon Transportation Center. If you want more information about our trees and shrubs, go to westlaurelhill.com slash about slash arboretum and scroll down to the Tree Keeper app for a map that shows every tree and shrub on the property. It's pretty amazing. And if you have suggestions for other people who are along this path you just walked, email me, joe at joelex.net. I can always sneak in one or two more people. You have seen and heard about only a tiny portion of the history and occupants of West Laurel Hill Cemetery. We have frequent live tours, which will tell you a lot more about this amazing people museum. Don't forget to check out the monthly podcasts I do for both Laurel Hill Cemetery and West Laurel Hill Cemetery, All Bones Considered Laurel Hill Stories. There's a shorter podcast called Biographical Bites from Bala that just covers one person monthly from West Laurel Hill. And when you go to the laurelhillcemetery.org and click on events, you will get literally dozens of activities at the two locations. Tours, both live and remote, movies, live performances, yoga, with and without goats, uh, so much more. And become a member of the Friends of Laurel Hill and West Laurel Hill Cemeteries. In doing so, you support our ability to keep these places vital and relevant. And you get discounts on live tours and at the online gift shop and in the in-person gift shop at the gatehouse of Laurel Hill Cemetery in Philadelphia. As I always say in the podcast, they may be cemeteries, but they are a couple of the liveliest spots in town. Stay safe. Stay well.